checking all the scriptures about Jesus and why Jesus was able to go through so many difficult situations and yet remain totally positive and encouraged. It's amazing how many uh, difficult situations he went through. Well, he was indeed the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only wise potentate. Uh, Things weren't easy for him. Almost every place Jesus went, they had great miracles or they had a riot. It was either revival or a riot. And uh, quite often, things didn't go too well. They just simply didn't go too well for him. But as I looked through the book of John, I constantly ran across this phrase, as the Father hath sent me. And he talks over and over and over and over, not just one time, throughout the book. It's pretty well sprinkled from the the very beginning to the end of the book of John. In other words, it's not just in one little area. But over and over and over and over, he talks about his mission in life. In other words, constantly, Jesus understood that he was sent into the world with a divine purpose. And we know that purpose was to seek and save that which was lost, according to Luke 19.10. We know that. Now, tonight in this lesson, and what I'm going to be speaking on is the subject, subject preparing for our mission. Pointing this toward you, I could say, preparing for your mission. In John 17, 18, we'll just read one scripture. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So our mission is one and the same of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had a mission. Now, if Jesus had a mission, and he did, he saw the extreme importance of being prepared for that mission. If Jesus understood the need to be prepared, my, how much more should we understand the need to be prepared? We do have classes going on right now, youth class. We have a teacher's training. We're going to have all of our teachers go through teacher's training just to requalify themselves. That's not to say that we are not happy with what the teachers are doing. It's just that all of us, we just need to become better equipped. We have Brother and Sister McDonald now that are are giving us Direction or lessons in dealing with people that uh, cannot hear, the hearing impaired. Uh, They have had a burden for the deaf ministry for some time. They've worked in this ministry in the state of Connecticut. They have brought their burden with them. 
That is their ministry, and they want to equip people within our congregation to work with people that have this particular difficulty. Uh, But it will take a lot of uh, study, a lot of practice, a lot of preparation on your part if you're involved in that ministry. Brother Rutherford has a ministerial development class. We understand the importance of people developing themselves or equipping themselves if they go into the ministry. But when we say the ministry, we're not just saying a pulpit ministry, but basically any ministry that you would choose to go into. Uh, Thursday night, we use this as a family night service. We call it family night because we just divide up and we have fun. We sing happy birthday to to uh, people of our congregation. Brother Manley's having a birthday Sunday. Sunday. He's having a birthday. I think he's going to be 47. What would you say? 25. <clears throat> One of us is lying, perhaps both of us. I don't think he's 47, and I didn't hear that. I did hear 25. I'm going to guess Brother Manley to be 34. How old? All right. How old is he? 36? 38? 37. 37. <clears throat> All right, 37. So he is winding down on 36. Younger than Sharon Johnson, he said. Not nearly as pretty, though, Sharon, so don't worry about it, okay? <clears throat> We've had several baby dedications. Uh, within a week from this Sunday, we'll be having another baby dedication. Brother and Sister Eckenrod will be uh, dedicating their precious little bundle of joy. I like baby dedications. I like weddings. We'll be having our 50th anniversary services. Uh, we will be having revival service in the month of May with Brother Randy Hollis. Brother Randy Hollis has had some great revivals. Some 60, 75 people received the Holy Ghost in a couple of weeks. That's why we're fasting and praying. First of June, Brother Cisco will be with us for a few services. Then, of course, we have our camp meetings. We have our fall back to revival, uh, revival, back to school revival. I don't think I said that right. Back to school revival, Brother Dan Reaver will be with us, and he is one fantastic preacher. How many of you heard Brother Reaver preach? He is, I'm telling you, he is a great preacher. And then we go into the, to the uh, winter, we have our, well, I don't even like to think about this, winter again. <clears throat> our church banquet, uh, and we will have Brother Miller with us again from headquarters. Brother Miller is a favorite of ours. He's from the Foreign Missions Department. And then Brother Liam will be here this Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday night. All of this because we understand our mission in life. We understand that. We do know that we have an opponent 
an opponent that does not fight by the rules of the book. There's just no doubt about it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10. I want to read this in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Sometimes Christians put too much of themselves into it. Now when I say too much of themselves, I'm talking about the physical aspect. You see, if we went off to boot camp tonight, we'd spend more time preparing ourselves physically for war than we would be preparing ourselves mentally for war. However, in conditioning ourselves, conditioning ourselves physically for war, there is a mental concept or philosophy that you grasp. And then after that, it's time for in-depth study in which you look into various methods, techniques, tactics, weaponry, etc. This is also true of the child of God. While his battle is not a physical one, he first prepares himself spiritually. Now, the worst thing that can happen to a child of God is to know all of the Bible that uh, anyone would know and then not be equipped spiritually to use it. We no doubt have within our uh, capabilities, that is, as Americans, enough arsenal to destroy the world. Uh, this all must be under the careful supervision of sane, logical, caring people. Did you know that you can take the Bible and win an argument with it, with or without the Holy Ghost? But without the Holy Ghost working through you, it's not very effective. Because you can turn a whole lot of people off. Now notice verse 4 of Second Corinthians 10, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I don't know, I just looked Sunday night out across the congregation. I thought, now, if we were fighting a physical war here in Madison, we'd probably... Any church the size of this, we'd probably win it. Look at all the big, strong guys we have. My, we ever have. We have a lot of tall guys recently. <clears throat> Brother James Hawk, I don't really know how tall Brother James is, but I think he's six nine or six ten. And then his son Daniel is about a half inch or three quarters of an inch taller than he is. He's only sixteen. We don't know how tall he's going to be. We may have to cut a slot in the church roof for him to walk in here when he gets grown. And then Chris Bowie is about 6'7 or 6'8. He's up there. We recently had uh, Brother Boomer Herrick to come into our church. Boomer, how tall are you? About 6'6. Six, 6'6. Six, six, six. Uh, he's way up there. I'll tell you, he's. Walks by me and I have to just look up. We go home with a with a, a kind of a catch in my neck. I'm looking up to everybody. And Ezra has been coming, and I don't know how tall Ezra is. I think he's probably six five at least. How tall are you, Ezra? He doesn't know. 
when you get up taller than everybody else, you just don't get what? You don't worry about it. There's no goals then. <clears throat> and then we have some pretty hefty guys, some that are not so tall but pretty hefty. I won't talk too much about that. <laughs> but, <clears throat> you know, if we were if we were fighting a physical battle, we'd be pretty pretty equipped. But see, that's not what we're fighting. And the thing about it is, when the Bible says that our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what he's saying is that, that, that God has given to us all of the implements and tools and such that we need to totally destroy the works of iniquity. Do you know that? He has. Here's just a little example of this. Jesus said, If a man would sue thee at the law to take away thy coat, give him thy cloak also. In other words, someone gets mad at you, they're going to sue you, so they decide to sue you. And you appear, and what you do is, you not only bring your coat that he's suing for, but you bring everything you have, and you say, here it is. That all this is on loan from God, and you can have it if God says you can have it. And so you give him everything. Now that just totally does what? It totally disarms a man that's mad at you. I mean, what can, you know, you may say, well, I would never do that. Well, that might be your case. That might be my case. But nevertheless, I'm telling you what the Scripture says. And the Scripture is just not the theoretics of life. It is the manual of life. It has been proven over and over and over again. It does work. It really does. Jesus said, Agree quickly with thine adversary. Paul picks up on this also. We find John talking about this. Now, that simply means if someone comes up to you and, and there is a big argument and you see that the spirit of the thing's not right, that what do you, you quickly make amends. What do, how do you defend yourself against someone that's saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this? And they just back up. You can't just keep going after them. You go after people that, that won't say. You follow what I'm saying? That's how, that's how fights and such occur. So our weapons are mighty to the pulling down of the strongholds of Satan. And I put off Satan in there because that's what it's talking about. Simply because that God has given us spiritual weapons. Weapons that Satan cannot defend himself against. And you think the weapons are, are defensive type weapons. They're not. They're very offensive. They have a way of just totally disarming Satan. You know, when Paul talks in Galatians 6 about the armor of God, if you read that, it's all offensive. It's offensive all the way. Nothing to cover the backside of the Christian because he was never meant to retreat. But bearing this in mind, sometimes Christians can get the wrong attitude because they think 
because God's on their side and God is that dynamite explosive force that caused the world to come into existence that we can just run over people, mow them down and leave them wounded and go on our own way. And that's not what the Bible is talking about at all. Notice what the Scripture says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, what I'd like to do, I'd like to talk about being prepared spiritually for the battle. Now, we're not going to get too much into the reason why we need to know the Bible. Now, you must know the Bible in order to uh, teach home Bibles and stu- studies and such. Brother Bridges was with us and gave us such an excellent study and put forth such great guidelines for this. But basically what I want to talk about is just preparing yourself spiritually. In other words, having yourself equipped with the right concepts and such in order to take the biblical knowledge that you know and disperse it or divide it to people. Now, I don't know of a better place in the Scripture to start than Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm that was written by David. has to do with his sin and him begging of mercy to the Lord because that he had committed adultery. Now, sometimes we read psalms like this, and we have a tendency to kind of throw up our hands and thank the Lord that we were never an adulterer or that we have not been involved in such a kind of behavior. But the Scripture is not just for given for the adulterer, but it's given for all of us. Now, <clears throat> this is such a beautiful uh, passage of Scripture. We're just going to start reading some. Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out mine or my transgressions. Notice he talks about the multitude of his tender mercies. Uh, It is amazing to me how merciful God is to mankind. The Bible tells us, in fact, it's in the book of Psalms, that when God sought to destroy Israel because of her refusal to follow Moses in the wilderness, that God remembered that they were just men. They're just human beings. And when he remembered they were just human beings, it caused God to take a second look. Verse 2, Wash me thoroughly. From my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. In other words, David's prayer is so great. See, David was a king. He obviously understood his mission. 
If there's anything that you, you first need to know is, you know, that, or to understand that God does have a purpose for you. Maybe some of you who are here and you feel that you're not given to God and you wonder where you fit into the, the whole scope of life, I will assure you whether your heart is given to God, whether your heart is right with God or not, that God has a mission for you. And the sooner you understand that and find that particular part, that or role that you are to play in life, the faster or the quicker you will be content. You will not be content until you find that. This is the reason why so many people in the world just given up. They just there's no real, no real purpose in life. There is purpose for every human being. Nobody has ever been born that God did not have a purpose. Never now and then I have a little pity party and get to feeling sorry for myself. It's like the Holy Ghost just quickens me and I, all of a sudden I, I begin to see purpose for my existence. It is amazing how your self-image changes. Not that you leave in such a haughty uh, high-minded air, but, but you just understand. And, and there's such confidence that comes with, with that. Now, verse 7, David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may re- rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities, creating me a clean heart. O God, and renew within me a right spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now notice, all of this for this reason. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. This is the mission of all people who walk on the face of the earth, and that is to carry the gospel message to other people. That's why Jesus came. But if you notice, there are four parts in this. The first part is purge me with hyssop, or create in me a clean heart. The second is renew a right spirit within me. The third part, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And then, number four, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now what I want to do, I just want to go through this, and hopefully I'll be able to help some of you. Now, when we talk about being purged with hyssop, hyssop, as you know, is that little shrub that was used In the Old Testament, in the ceremonial law, it was used many times in the Scripture. Uh, It is a symbol of purification. Actually, blood was dipped. uh, That is, I say blood was dipped. The hyssop was was dipped in blood, and it was placed uh, upon several different uh, uh, places in the tabernacle plan. Also, we know that in Leviticus 14, Numbers 19, it is spoken of 
It's just uh, simply a little little shrub that was used for for the like like you would use a, a, a mop or like you would use a, a broom or or like like you would use a uh, a brush to to clean something up. So what he's saying, purge me with hyssop. Now this little shrub not had only the ability to be used like a mop or broom, but also it had a cleaning agent within it. A lot of people would use it to to to, to wash out or to clean or as to use as spot remover. And what David is saying is that uh, I need to be cleansed. Now we know, according to the Scripture, <clears throat> that cleansing also has a twofold meaning. Actually, when I say twofold meaning, maybe I should say a twofold purpose. The meaning is the same. One for the sinner, and then, of course, one for the saint. Of the sinner, he is cleansed from the guilt of sin. He is cleansed from the guilt of sin. You know, the Bible tells us in, in the book of, of Romans, pardon me, the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us that, that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer of a good conscience, void of offense toward God. My, 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 how great it is to, to be able, if a man is a transgressor and, and he, he, he lives this life, he, he picks up a lot of guilt. He constantly tries to justify himself. Uh, he appears to have a very closed mind because he wants to talk more than he wants to listen. That, by the way, that happens to be the, 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 that is the number one fruit of a closed mind. And that is you want to talk more than you want to listen. <clears throat> In other words, you want to defend your position. Tell your part. Uh, it actually stems from guilt where people just, you know, they just, I've got all the answers. It's a cover-up. Isn't it true that people that have an inferiority complex usually come across as being hard and bold and abrasive and they hurt a lot of people and inside they're hurting themselves. They, they, they just, they, they don't want to do this, but that's the only avenue that they've ever traveled on. That's the only defense they have. So, <clears throat> we find that uh, the cleansing of a sinner from the guilt of sin. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 1, There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who live not according to the flesh, uh, but according to the Spirit. Who walk not according to the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. My, 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 how, how, you know, when you put that load of sin down, how free you feel. You remember when that happened to you. You remember how free you felt. My, just, you felt so crushed and so burdened and so pushed down. And all of a sudden it was just, it was erased. You know, there's, there's something that we have to understand too about the teaching of the Scripture. I don't know the, I don't know about the experience of the Old Testament saints. I know that they, uh, they were taught that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ atoned. The word atone means to cover, covered the sin. But when Jesus Christ came upon the scene, John says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And the only place that atonement's mentioned in the New Testament is in the book of Romans, the ninth chapter. And if you read that in this proper context, and also look at the Greek word, uh, 
he is talking about reconciliation. So what are you saying? I'm saying that that the New Testament, as far as the works of Christ is concerned, and this sounds blasphemous, I know, to a lot of a lot of Christians, but but please understand what I'm saying before you judge this. The, the atonement's not taught in the New Testament. There's something better than that. Sins are not covered by the blood. They are erased. They're washed. They're cast in the sea of forgetfulness, which is hell. They go beforehand to be judged like Timothy uh, is instructed by the Apostle Paul. Some men's sins go before to be judged. Some follow after them. So I don't know how the Old Testament saints felt when their sins were covered with the blood. But I can tell you one thing how the New Testament saints feel when their sins are blotted out. Praise God. There's a freedom. I mean a real freedom. My, my, my. To just be free of all of that. All the entanglement of the world. I've known a lot of people that have come in for counseling and they... Tell me this, that, and the other. People not living for God. I'm just in trouble. I just want to know how to get out. Well, I told my mother this lie. And as a result, uh, she asked me this question, so I had to tell this. And then she told somebody else, and they asked me about it, so I had to tell this. Right now, I'm living under such a heavy load because I've lied to six or eight people. And I don't know what to do. I feel crushed. I feel there's a load, a ton, like a ton of bricks upon my shoulder. Let me tell you something. When you come to the Lord and you fully repent, my, perhaps I told the story, I don't remember, when we first bought the land where we built our house, there wasn't a driveway. Well, there was a driveway, but it uh, didn't have a lot of gravel in it. It mostly just uh, packed topsoil. And in 1992, when we bought this, in the fall of the year, it started raining, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained. We'd moved our horses down to the farm. It was on Thursday uh, before church, and so we decided we'd run down and quick feed the horses and come back and and get dressed and come to church. So uh, we had been parking out on the road. The, The barn is... A quarter of an uh, say a quarter of an acre. <laughs> the barn is thirteen hundred and twenty feet back, which is a quarter of a mile back from the the road. So Sister Grant, you know she's always cautious. She always has good advice. Uh, she said, "Now park out on the road and we'll walk in." Well, I I was running a little late. I said, "No, I don't have time to. I'll drive in." So she said, "We'll, we'll never get out." <clears throat> she had faith that we'd get stuck. So, we drove in. I, of course, I'm going downhill. You got to understand. And I had a little speed up too because I, I was coming downhill when I pulled off the road. We went into the barn, parked, jumped out, threw some hay out and everything, jumped back in. And uh, now I'm starting off going uphill, slightly uphill. And of course, I'm starting off from a dead stop, and it made the difference. I want to tell you something. This, this gravity business is is intriguing. <clears throat> it's easier to go downhill. You know that? It really is. And once you get older, uh, you'll find out gravity really plays some tricks on you. Your eyes start sagging and uh, other places start sagging and 
the, the world's pulling you down and you're, you're trying everything you can to just, you know, every now and then I'd just like to stand on my tiptoes and walk across the church and say, gravity, I defy you. But you know what? It pulls me down. I get tired. Well, here this man's going to go out, see, and I'm going uphill and I don't have speed. And guess what happened? It started going down. We started praying, oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Isn't it something when you exercise bad judgment, or maybe I should say this, you do foolish things? <clears throat> How you always call on Jesus, Lord, help me out. <clears throat> I even caught myself saying, I'm running late, Lord, and prayer time, the church is coming up, Lord. Raining hard. And that van went, I mean to tell you, that van went down right to the, the running boards on the side. I got out and looked, and I said, oh, my. Well, Sister Grant had another great idea. She said, I'll tell you what, you push, <coughs> and I'll drive. <coughs> so <coughs> she got behind the wheel, and I started pushing. Now, the only thing is, she gave it uh, just a smidgen too much gas. And she started spraying me with this mud. I'm telling you, you're talking about covering me. I mean, she was blasting me. And it started going. And, of course, she's not going to stop, and I don't want her to stop. And every now and then, though, she'd bog down a little bit, so I'd get up and I'd push. And after a while, I mean, I looked down. I looked like a swamp creature or something. I have never seen so much mud. And then she was hitting me in the face. Well, I, what I, I made a mistake. I turned my back then. And I mean, I just loaded up. I'm telling you, I have never been in a case like this. I had so much mud on me, I could hardly stand up. I'm serious with you. I walked out on, on the highway up there, and I could hardly walk. I'm serious. Then she looks at me, and she says, are you going to ride in the van? Well, what am I supposed to do? I can't walk off. I don't have a change of clothes, you know. <clears throat> I'm, I'm serious. The mud was this deep all over me. I could hardly have. I could hardly stand up. Well, we had leather seats in the van, so <coughs> we had a newspaper. So we put a newspaper back there, and I sat down in the back, and we drove home. Well, on the, the tri-level part of the house, there's a faucet about this high. And it was cold, cold weather. I turned the faucet on. I had to get underneath that out in the yard and wash all this stuff off me. I, I had never. And, you know, this is the way it is when a person comes to God. If they have not purified themselves with his cleansing blood. You know, there is a weight. It may not be a physical weight, but there is a weight that just you feel it crushing you and pushing you. And sometimes it's painful when people try to get rid of this. They pray. They seek the Lord. I've seen people praying around the altar, around the front up here. And, and, and you could tell they were struggling. I mean, really struggling. They, they were wrestling. Well, there was nobody fighting with them. But it was just that inner struggle. You could feel that. You could see that. And then all of a sudden, they accept the cleansing Blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of God. It sure makes a difference, I'll tell you. It makes a difference. And then, of course, the saint from defilement of sin. You know, it is necessary 
for you, if you're a child of God, to repent every day. Because when we talk about the defilement of sin, that simply means that. See, sin is in the world. It's of the Spirit. And uh, I have this idea, and I got it from Scripture, that sin cannot be destroyed. Because it's of the spirit world. It can be confined, and this is the reason why, that, that all sin and sinners are cast into hell. See, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In other words, the blood erases it, but it is cast into hell. In other words, it's like the water that's behind uh, the levee. Uh, you know, you just can't go out there and cut the levee and say, well, we're going to cut this levee and hopefully that water is going to stay back there. It won't stay back there. It's going to rush in. It's like the viruses that fill the, fill the atmosphere in, in the wintertime or any time. They're just, they're just there. And you say, I wonder where I caught the flu. I wonder where I picked this bug up. Some people even sit around and try to figure out where they picked it up. You know these things you can't even see with a microscope. How would you know? I mean, if you figured that you got it from somebody, how would you really know? <clears throat> Some of these scientists have never even seen. They just know they exist and they know the characteristics of them. So how would you know where you got it? Don't try to figure that out, in other words. They're just here. And so it's just always here. And this is the reason why that the child of God needs to pray and defend himself every day against the evil spirits of the world because they are here. They're everywhere. If there's anybody here that has this concept that you're so good you don't need to pray every day, You've got another thought coming, I'll tell you. Because you never get that good in this world. Not as long as you're wearing this robe of flesh that you wear. And so we need to pray and we need to pray so that we will not be defiled by sin. How wonderful and how beautiful the cleansing blood of the Lord is. See, we're not purchased... With gold and silver, Peter says, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. He said, I shall be whiter than snow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though thy sins be as scarlet. They shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. I don't think I quoted that right, did I? I got it backwards. But nevertheless... That's what he's saying. You'll be made white as snow. But guess what happens to snow when snow doesn't keep falling? It gets nasty and dirty. All right. <clears throat> now, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. Now, <clears throat> you know, you think sometimes just because the Lord purifies you, that, that you'll have the right spirit. Now the word spirit that is mentioned here actually is making reference to a person's attitude. 
You know, attitude is the name of the game in Christianity. I get bad attitudes quite often. Who laughed? <laughs> you ever get a bad attitude? How many of you had a bad attitude? Don't raise your hand. Oh. <clears throat> Not now, anyway. How many of you had bad attitudes this past week? Don't raise your hand now. Now, you can be praying and repenting every day, but unless you understand what God is able to do and how He's able to work within you, it is possible just to have that bad attitude. Uh, you know, you think, well, fasting and prayer will cure everything. You hear that. And, and, and you read things in the Scripture you say, well, this is the answer. It is the answer, provided you understand and that's why we have the Bible. You know, you can be fasting and praying, let's say, for an enemy, and, and, and come out of that hating him more if you're praying incorrectly about him. I like the one man that I knew that prayed about his bad marriage. His marriage got worse, and the reason why is because he insisted on praying with his wife, and all he would do is, God, help her. She is so stubborn. And Lord Jesus. And, and you know, he just prayed like this. Well, what's a woman going to do? She's going to defend herself by saying, Lord, I'm glad I'm not. Well, Lord. And she goes into this long, long prayer about her husband. Now, the truth of the matter is they're more in tune to what the other one's saying than they are what the Holy Ghost is saying. Attitude is the name of the game. I talked about Christian growth. I talk about this in our Christian development class. This is how we grow. It's the same way we're converted. We first gain knowledge that changes our attitude, that changes our action. Attitude. Attitude. How important is attitude? You know, <clears throat> Jesus addressed this. He addressed this when the disciples, they, they got a little upset. And one of them said, should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus said, you know not what spirit you're of. Basically, what he's saying is, <clears throat> you know, you guys have a very bad attitude. You don't understand that. They, they had attitudes like this. We saw a man over there casting out a devil, but he's not with us, Lord. What, what are we going to do about this? Jesus said, Now he that is not against me is for me. You remember him saying that? And, and he just forgot about it. We, we, like to put, we like to pass judgment on everything. That's just that's just the attitude of people. They, you know, a lot of people can't be neutral in anything. They got they they force themselves to make up their mind about everything in life. And there's such a thing as presumptuous sin. You know, the book of Psalms talks about this. Peter talks about it in his epistle. 
There are people that actually try to figure out what everybody else is trying to figure out. And I wonder why she did that. I wonder why he looked like that. Do you see what they were talking? They were talking in church. I wonder what they were talking about. Now I wonder why she bought that dress. You hear things like that? You don't ever hear anything like that, do you? Boy, that, that dress sure makes her look large. <clears throat> Maybe she wants to look large. <clears throat> Maybe she has a mindset of bigness. You follow what I'm saying? But why try to figure all these things out? Because you never know when you figure it out if you're right or wrong. I remember one time a man just told me a very serious thing, and I just listened to him. I never said a thing. And then he went to another man and said, Brother Grant is behind me in this decision. And so <clears throat> he spread the word around. Well, what he was doing, I, wasn't, I didn't think was very complimentary to the Christian cause, but Brother Grant endorsed it. Now, I was not this man's pastor, okay? And what he was telling me was literally none of my business. But he told me. And all I did was listen. So then people began to call me. And I said, no, I did not endorse what he's doing. Well, you said you did. I said, no, I didn't. He simply told me. And when he told me, he didn't ask me what I thought. He had already made up his mind. He had already started the action. And I never opened my mouth. Well, how can you do that? I said, well, there is such a thing as just being neutral. You know you can do that. I'm not the judge of the whole world. So I just listened to him. After a while, Brother Grant told me this is okay. Brother Grant said this is what I ought to do. No, I did not say that. Nobody ever asked me. And you know, just to discipline yourself, every now and then, you need to hear something that you really don't like and just keep your big, fat mouth shut. Make yourself do it. Just bite your lip and tongue and say, I'm not going to say one word. If your marriage is going bad, you need to really do <clears throat> You know that? But you really do. Attitude. Attitude. It's the name of the game. And David says, when I have been cleansed, Lord, give me the right attitude. <clears throat> There's one thing that you'd never want. You'd never want to develop a reputation as, as a person that had, just has a bad attitude all the time about life. You don't want that. Because that will destroy you and your influence faster than anything. Now, if you're called to do what God was called to do, what Jesus was called to do, I can't see Jesus fulfilling his mission with a bad attitude. Can you? In other words, oh, I don't want to talk today. Stayed up late last night praying. Doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? 
just doesn't sound like Jesus. Now, Jesus talked about attitude. Let's, let's just turn to, to Matthew 7. This is the basis for attitude as it relates to human relations. Matthew seven twelve. This was coined as the golden rule sometime in the 17th century. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. <clears throat> Isn't that something? Of course, if you really want to challenge yourself, you go back to Matthew 5, and I, I mentioned this. <clears throat> this, Matthew 5, <clears throat> to me, this is probably the most challenging part of the Scripture concerning attitudes. Verse 37, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. You have heard that it had been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. <clears throat> Are you thinking about this? you got to think about it now. You got to think about it when you read it. <clears throat> All right. If any man will sue that the law to take away that coat, let him have that cloak also. Now you got to think about this. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, <clears throat> turn not thou away. You have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Now, who would you believe an enemy would be? Someone that adversely opposes you for their own benefit, for their own sake. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. See, a lot of Attitudes can be corrected, really, but just following the Scripture. If you're praying intercessory prayers for an individual that's out to get you, and you know they're out to get you, and you're talking in tongues, praying intercessory prayers, you're seeking God, it's hard for you to get up and go your way with a bad feeling toward them. So then when you see them, your attitude won't be so cranky, contrary, and such. Like I was preaching Sunday night, you'll have a three-chair attitude. Or four-chair attitude. Really slow you down. Why all this that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven? For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans also. Now this, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about our weapons. The fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians 5.22 the fruit of the Spirit is just, they're such great weapons. 
All right? A lot of talk about attitude. I've heard several talk shows this week on radio in which attitudes have been mentioned. A lot of talk going on. But are we willing to change our attitude? Now, after the attitude, if you turn back to Psalm 51, and we're going to have to hasten on, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I like people that seem to enjoy living. Oh, yeah. Do you really? People that can laugh. Let me ask you this. Can you laugh about a lot of different things? Can you laugh about your own mistakes? Can you do that? You've got to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, life doesn't stop with one failure, with one goof up. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. A point blank question. Why do you think God gave you joy? I assume He gave you joy because you need it. Now, there is a difference between happiness and joy, and I'm not teaching a lesson on happiness and joy tonight, but basically, happiness seems to be the fruit of joy, which is the is a, a character trait that's developed within you. I think joy comes about, by and large, <clears throat> as a result of just having a, a good spirit of thankfulness or thanksgiving. <clears throat> you remember... A couple of weeks ago, I I preached from Deuteronomy 28. I talked about being overtaken with blessings. Deuteronomy 28, verse 2, And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. <coughs> Pardon me, turn there if you would. <clears throat> if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. I talked about a $50 blessing. All this for $50. Okay. Now, <clears throat> there is a condition which will bring chastisement to the child of God. That's found in verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, and observe and do all of His commandments and His statutes which I commanded thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Isn't that something? So you can be captured and overtaken by blessings. <clears throat> now, I don't know if any of you have ever felt so good about what God was doing. You just said, Lord, I don't know if I can take any more of this. This is so good. <clears throat> Many of you, and I have... Uh, I must confess, I felt, Lord, I don't know if I can take any more of this because it's so bad. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? But if you read on in this chapter, and I did not read this the night I preached the message, verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. This is why the curse comes upon an individual. Because when he receives something from God, he doesn't 
have thanksgiving in his heart. He doesn't serve the Lord with joyfulness and with gladness of heart. Praise God. <clears throat> can't get to can't wait till I get to church. Run in. Now, I know that I'm the pastor, so I'm a very poor judge of this. But people will run in and the first thing is say, You can't believe what happened to me today. And they start telling me something bad. And somebody else running, You can't believe what happened to me today. And I just long for good news. Somebody running in, Brother Grant, you cannot believe what has happened to me today. God has been so good. See, we're not quite so eager to spread the good news, are we? Are we? You can't believe how God blessed me in prayer this morning. My, when I went to the Lord in prayer, I felt so burdened down. But when I walked out, oh, thank the Lord. He granted to me joy and gladness. I've been feeling great all day long. <clears throat> now, we need to start practicing this. Because, you see, what happens, it's like fuel on a fire. If we talk the negative all the time, we just keep kindling the fire. It's like gossip, you know, where there is no tail barrier, the Bible says, then the strife ceases. And if nobody tells the tale, the fire just goes out. And what we're doing, we're just inviting the devil to come to us. We're inviting bad news by always making proclamations about how bad things are. And you know what happens is that, that when you get into the habit of this, you can't really count your blessings because you cannot see that God is doing a lot for you. Now, you know, what bearing does all this have on soul winning? A lot. Because that's the way the world is out there. They want to hear a different song, played to a different tune, different lyrics. They want to know that there's something that's happy and live and vivacious that's happening in the planet of the earth that's worth their time and attention. But my aches and pains are greater than yours. And my car costs me more to be repaired than yours. And when I painted my house, I had more rotten boards than you had. And when the storm hit, it blew off more shingles off my house than yours. More trees in my yard were uprooted than in your yard. See, we compare stories like that. That's kind of what the newspaper's all about. You know that? <clears throat> really? You know what you need to start doing? You need to start thinking that Calvary Gospel Church is the best place that you can be on this planet Earth when the doors are open to come to church. Hallelujah. And I'm going to get there and I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus Christ and about His redeeming power. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, the 12th chapter, verse 3, the Bible says, With joy shall we draw from the wells of salvation. In other words, joy becomes the bucket that you draw from the wells of salvation with. 
Now you think about what he's sort of saying. That simply means that it doesn't make any difference what's in the well. If you don't have a bucket, you're not going to get anything out. And you know what the bucket is? It's joy. Didn't get much of a blessing tonight. You didn't bring a bucket. You know that? But you didn't bring you didn't bring your bucket. Get your bucket out. <clears throat> the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. <clears throat> I like that chorus. If you want joy, you must laugh for it. I don't think I'm in tune. I'm not far off, though. <clears throat> I'm having fun. <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to be joyful, yes. All right. <clears throat> now, if you notice what happens, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I still remember the prayer meeting we had back in December when all these sisters started laughing. I meant they laughed and they laughed and they laughed. And there was such a free spirit. When that free spirit, everybody feels good. You may not be laughing, but you feel good. And you go, we, we all left that night and it's like, you mean we have to go home now? We have to go home and go to bed? You mean, it, it, can't, can't we just stay some long? Is there something else we can do? We're just having so much fun. Just a free spirit. You know, this is one reason why we have discipline problems with children. Uh, all you parents, listen to me. See, the, the children some kind, sometimes in a Pentecostal church can be rowdier then than any other time. You know the reason why? Because they see you as you worship. I'm serious with you. They see you running. They see you leaping. Now, they have to be told and they have to be corrected that, hey, you can't just run when you're not supposed to run. And they should be told when they can and when they cannot. But nevertheless, it's the same thing to them. It just, oh, man, we're here and we're having a good time, man. <clears throat> My boys went down to Texas and the church there wasn't noted to be real lively. I asked the boys after they got back, do you, have, do you like church? Oh, Roy said it was great. They were just little tykes then. As it was, <clears throat> yep, excellent. We loved it until church started. <laughs> they had to sit down. Where he's gone. Are you the type of person you like to laugh? You need to be the type of person that likes to laugh. You need to go go before the mirror. Look at yourself. You need to practice laughing. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. <clears throat> you know, Jesus has done a lot for me. Where would you be if you didn't have God? Where would you be? Some of the funerals I've gone to. Knowing that these people have lived full lives and they're in the hands of God. Even though it's sad, there's such an undergirding of real joy. Just 
Praise God. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened on planet Earth. You know what? Being a preacher is the greatest life you can live. I told someone this week, I have the most understanding boss that you'd ever want to work for. Praise God. And then, last, this all leads to what? It leads to a life that's dedicated and devoted, that serves as a good example, a living epistle. And with the life, you teach transgressors the way of the Lord. My life is different. Did you know your neighbors may think you're weird? That's all right. I tell you what, in, in, in due time, they'll respect you. They'll say, now, there's something different about that guy. You know, you're running late to work, though, and you run out and the car won't start. You slam the door and kick it. He's looking at you. He uses the same weapons that I use. That's what he's thinking, see. When he's mowing and the lawn mower won't start, he pitches a fit. He's just like me. You ever do things like that? I have. Didn't cuss. But I had the spirit of cussing on me. (laughs) Didn't say a bad word. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Come on. I've seen some of you get so mad your face turn as red as Herb Roth's shirt. You don't know who Herb is? Raise your hand, Herb. Everybody look at his shirt. (laughs) Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If you want joy, you must laugh for it. Nobody on this planet earth is perfect, but I'll tell you what. It sure is good to know the Bible and to know that if you follow this, you'll be happy. Really, it's really just a matter of becoming a living epistle. You see, if you become a living epistle, you'll teach people. You'll not only teach them with your life, you'll have immense desire to teach Just immense desire to teach. You will be surprised when you teach if you're living according to the Scripture and your character is intact. How much anointing will come to you? I meant real anointing. Tears will flow. Brother Bridges preached that marvelous message about tears, the ministry of tears. I don't think he he titled it that. The Lost Art of Weeping. I remember years ago I preached a message on the ministry of tears. But you know the thing, you just can't say, well, I want to cry. Try it. Oh, now, if some of you have been into acting, you can. There's certain people can turn it on because they just practice to do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about 
emotionally being touched to the point that tears come. Can't make yourself do it. You listen to a preacher preach as much like that, you think, I'll go down and weep. You come down and you don't weep. You can't make yourself weep. You rub your eyes hoping a tear will come. It doesn't come. You say, well, what's wrong with my tears? Some of that takes days of conditioning at an altar where you're crying over the lost. Not only that, crying over your own deficiencies. See, there's something about the old rugged cross. There's several reasons why you cry. You can cry because you're so happy about what Jesus has done. But on the other hand, you cry because you're a sinner and He had to do it just to save you. He had to do it just to save you. So when we talk about preparing for His mission, first, there is the cleansing. Then the right attitude. Accompanied then with a whole lot of joy. And then people see your life. And you teach them with your life. That they're unsaved. And that they need to do something. About their sinfulness. Shall we stand? Oh hallelujah hallelujah. Praise God. Do you love him? Is he good to you? Isn't he wonderful? My. My, 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 my. God is so good. What would we do if we didn't have God? Where would we go? But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and stone, and some of honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. This is Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter, Timothy 2. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and them that call upon the name of the Lord after a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. That's what happens when you, you don't pray. You, know? you want to teach the Bible? I'm going to show everybody how smart I am. You get involved in something you can't even prove. Did you know this is the reason why in religion, in Christianity, that the word is out among the world, that Christians have a bad attitude and they like to argue about everything. That's what Paul was addressing. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. <clears throat> Somebody just asked me, he said, I come to so many religions in the world. One confusing thing is that everybody claims to use the Bible and they come up with different answers. 
I told myself, I'm not going to get in an argument with this man about this. Are you serious? I looked at Ken and I said, now Ken, you know I'm puzzled about that too. I don't have the answer and I don't think you ever will. But I'll tell you what we need to do, Ken. We need to forget about everybody else and what they're doing. And we just need to open the Bible and say, Lord, regardless of what everybody else is doing, I want to be right. I sat in my office, talked with Ken. Tears filled his eyes. Last night at 7 o'clock, Brother Hicks was teaching him a Bible study. Brought this Mormon man over here and we baptized him in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to argue about some things that I don't have answers to. Hallelujah. Well, I started this. I guess I need to end it. Because nobody's going to end it for me, but I don't know how to end it. Let's lift our hands. Would you do that? I love you, Jesus. I worship you, God. Equip me, God. Equip me, God. I want to be prepared. I need a cleansing. I need a right attitude. I need to be joyful in my service to you. And with my life, I need to teach sinners their, the way of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. With this time, we'll give you an invitation to come and pray. Anyone who would like to come, just step right out and come down to the front. Your guest of ours, as God begins to deal with your heart tonight, and I know He's doing that, step right out and come on down. If you're hesitant to come alone, someone will come with you. Throughout the building, we have Christian workers who'd be glad to come kneel with you and pray with you. Come on, right now, would you do that? Oh, God, dear God, dear God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. That's it. Come on right now. People are coming. Our praise singers will begin to sing. Come on right now. Oh, God. Are you thankful that He saved your soul?